Hello and welcome back to Sabbath School from Home, our podcast where we're exploring this season, the idea of being in the crucible with Christ. I'm in a crucible of sorts this week myself. I came down, I tested positive for COVID um, on uh, almost a week ago, uh, a week plus, no, one day less than a week ago. So I'm getting close to the end of my mandatory seven day isolation and I have been isolating by effectively living in the spare room of my house, which just so happens to also be my little podcast studio. So right now I'm coming to you in this recording from my office, bedroom, lounge room um, and dining room of the last week. I'm Lachlan and I'm looking forward to this conversation. And I'm Luke and I'm just in a study. <laughs> I, I'm as sick as you are, but it's not COVID, so I don't get any special treatment. Oh, well, yeah, that's no good. So between the two of us uh, recovering from, from sicknesses, there may be some croaky throats and there may even be a couple of coughs. We'll, we'll see if we can edit those out. <clears throat> so last week, Cameron and I explored um, some of the passages of the Bible that are used or sometimes used to try and comfort or assist people who are who are basically living a pretty tough moment in their life. And one of those verses, one that I recall uh, commenting that I quite liked, was Romans 8.28, which is about God being able to take things that happen and work them for good. All things Through all things, God is able to work towards goodness. Um, I'm paraphrasing it. I'm paraphrasing it deliberately to highlight the essence in which I appreciate and enjoy that verse the most but there's an interesting verse following straight on from that that picks up a theme we might try and explore in this episode um do you have it there luke romans 8 verse 29 i do i have it right here um i have it in the esv which may be a fairly uh obtuse translation to read it in and if you've got it in a different one maybe we can do two different versions um, I'm going to read it with 28 together. In fact, if you don't mind, I might read um, from 26 to 30. Yeah, that sounds good. And I'll point out 29 as we go, because it is one thought and one um, the paragraph. So, uh, starting at 26. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. I really like that verse. Mm. Maybe we should talk about that one a bit too. Um, That's 26. 27. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And then we get to 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. 29. This is the relevant one this week for those whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and then 30 and those whom he predestined he also called and those whom he called he also justified and those whom he justified he also glorified Hmm. now i have to admit i feel like i understand what's going on up until the end of 28. <laughs> and then I got some questions. Well, I certainly have some questions. Anytime I see the word predestined, 
Um, yes, in, that's one of in, them. In sure. ink on the Bible page. It always makes me feel uncomfortable. So, so that's certainly um, one element here. <clears throat> um, well, yes. And my initial reaction, which may not be a good reaction because it's kind of a way of sort of explaining away the concept of predestiny, which I don't believe in, is to say that this is this is predestination in the sense it's quite a general predestination firstborn among many brothers so it's it's not specifics mm. it's generals and it's the sort of thing where you could set up a plan so that these things came to pass um, any given individual's course is not predestined but this outcome has been decided by by incredibly brilliant planning mm. But that, that is, you know, that's just to make me feel better about it. I, I don't assert that to be the true and correct interpretation. Well, I, I'm going to posit that one of the things that helps make, um, makes, uh, one of the things that makes this a little easier to understand might be if we were to position ourselves, um, as it were, in one of life's crucibles. Uh, if you imagine that life is going fairly hard and that you're looking around and seeing other people enduring lives that are going fairly hard, especially in the new Testament era, people whose lives are made more difficult in the society they live because of their decision to become followers of God in the way of Jesus. Um, <clears throat> then what we're seeing here is in the broadest strokes, I think are called uh, an encouragement, a message of encouragement. It's trying to sort of say, well, um, you know, things, God can work things for good, for those that he's chosen and and he's chosen you you're you're one of the chosen and and that helps because even though things are going really badly and are going fairly fairly tough um you know we we he's called us to to be conformed to the image of his son that's the phrase that i think we need to explore a bit in in particular mm. um picking up on one of the themes from the sabbath school discussion this week um, and then going on after where you finished, you know, in verse 31, for example, um, you know, if God is for us, who is against us? So <clears throat> you wouldn't say that unless you really felt, well, you would, but it makes most sense, I think, if, if you're talking to people who really do feel like they have a long list of who is against them, the state, mm. the neighbours, the tax office, the legal authorities, their own traditional religious community. There's a lot of people against us, but that pales into insignificance against the idea that God is for us. He's selected us. He's chosen us. He's justified us. He's um, called us and and glorified us. I, I feel there's an, a broad strokes message of encouragement trying to come through there. Yes, and, and I think that is the context. I mean, Romans 8 is is a, a message uh, to encourage people who are suffering, you know. It it has in it the, the very well-known verse, um, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. A verse I will always remember, because I once saw it posted on the wall of a men's toilet, <laughs> which I thought was a very strange context <laughs> to put that verse in. Um, but it's definitely a memory aid yeah. <laughs> of sorts. Well, I suppose the um, sufferings that we now endure, um, there you are. <laughs> in encouragement for those with diarrhea, perhaps, or, or, the, or the opposite problem, either of them. Um, 
but it, it, yes, it is. It is a deeply encouraging one, and and I think for people who are suffering because they're Christian to have this message that you're chosen, you're special. Um, when I suppose you know, for me, the idea of predestination is an uncomfortable one. Maybe because my life is not bad enough for mm. it to be comforting, or I don't feel. Or I don't. I feel too much in control of things for it to be comforting, or I feel too capable on my own for it to be comforting. And if you took all that stuff away from me, the idea of this is all supposed to happen, mm. and it's all going to happen the right way, and in the end it will be fine and good, uh, isn't encouraging. Mm. Mm. I'm still not sure how it can be true in the context of free will which is a very strong i don't see how you can read the bible and not believe in free will mm. but then it also has verses like this in it. well i think we can take comfort we're not the only ones to struggle with it I, i've i've opened these verses in the message i know that it's a paraphrase but sometimes it's helpful just to get a bit of a fresh breath of air over the over the passage here's how eugene peterson renders it starting in verse 29 god knew what he was doing from the very beginning he decided from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. The son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in him. Now, there's no predestination in there at all. It's, it's um, the wording Ooh. in the message is um, from, from the outset to shape the lives of those who love him. So it's still actually constructing it in a way that puts the, um, the choice or the freedom back on, back onto the individuals. Have they chosen to love God or not? And, and, and I do like that. So that's why I was wondering, maybe, you know, uh, d different translations may be helpful. Yes. Well, in this case, I mean, I don't turn to the message to try and get clarity on what the, what the biblical text really says, um, because it's definitely a paraphrase, but what it highlights is that our discomfort is shared by others, and it seems, to some extent at least, by, by Eugene Peterson there. Um, although, I, I, I don't want to be too dismissive of Peterson. Uh, he, he, he did, I mean, he, he did spend more time than I have with the biblical material and the original languages, so um, mm. I have not, I've not written my own paraphrase of the New Testament, so... so I, um, I think there is some genuine insight that we can honestly glean uh, from reading paraphrases like that. Um, yeah. Now, there's something interesting going on here, mostly in my head, but I hope to remedy that. Um, this reminds me, 29, but the, the whole passage, mm. um, kind of uh, even 18 through to 30, reminds me of, of something else I heard recently. Um, so there's an interesting parallel that you, you may be keen to, to uh, consider. And it's not about the uh, conforming to the image of the sun. So I apologize, but we, we can come back to that. Um, but it's this idea of encouragement to those who are in suffering. Mm. Um, and so I, I recently was presented with the verse Jeremiah 29, 11. Jeremiah 29 is Jeremiah's, the prophet's, letter to the Babylonian exiles. Ah. Um, and 29.11 is a very famous verse. Is this the one about plans to prosper? Yes. Ah, I've certainly heard that one. 
Yes. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans for welfare um, or peace, uh, not for evil. To give you plans to give you a future and a hope. Um, and I was presented with this verse as an encouragement mm. uh, to me in some of the difficulties that I've gone through. And I was encouraged in the context. And this was a really great um, experience and, and context situation. I don't want people to get the wrong idea that um, this was negative in any way. It wasn't. But I was encouraged to ponder this verse and its meaning and its meaning in my life. And, but what I'm, I mostly came up with were questions. Oh, okay. About when this verse doesn't seem to apply. Mm -hmm. Because the work that I do involves coming face to face with a bunch of human suffering. And the thing about human suffering that people who don't spend time thinking about it, specific examples of it, may not realize is that it is largely, almost entirely, completely undeserved. Mm. The people suffering do not deserve what is happening to them. Yeah. Right? That is true in almost every case that I've ever witnessed. Um, and so what of the child who starved to death in Africa? What was God's plan to prosper them? Yeah. You know, what the 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 pregnant mother who was killed in Ukraine, what was God's plan to prosper her and her child? Mm. You know, it's... And, and then, so I have something of the same feeling with this verse <laughs> in, in Romans, yeah. where it says, well, it sounds great for those predestined <laughs> um, for this good thing, uh, those foreknown and predestined, um, but what about the people who weren't predestined? What did they do wrong? Mm. The people who were living on the other side of the world at that time in history and had no chance whatsoever to be, you know, the gospel wouldn't reach their part of the world for another 1,500 years. Why weren't they predestined? Yeah. Well, I, I think we need to pull the plug a little bit on, because the, I don't have the answers. That's the trouble to to these questions. I, yes, it was. it's a rhetorical question, to be clear. I'm not expecting yeah. you to provide an answer. I, I just, it's, it's an interesting parallel. You know, you've got this Old and New Testament, encouragement to people in need. Mm. And I think, I'm sure, very excellent encouragement. But in both cases, I find I personally have an issue with the universalization of these verses mm. going, well, these verses apply to these people in this specific time. So now they apply to you and everyone else Yeah, in exactly the same way. And I'm not sure that's true. Um, and that's something maybe to ponder. Um, well, because if it is true, the implications for how we read scripture are significant. But maybe we should turn our attention uh, while we still have any amount of time left um, to the the phrase conform to the image of his son. Yeah, well, let's do that. But I think that they're connected. So, so um, when I said I didn't have the answers, uh, I don't even have anything really to add. You very aptly described a conundrum that that I've also pondered at times. The lesson picks up this theme of image, and and I think that it is connected. It picks up this image, this theme of image, with a cool little story about a, a traditional goldsmith in India. And the goldsmith is refining gold 
over a fire and the fire is heated up incrementally hotter and hotter to basically burn away the impurities. And in the story, a, a group watching asks the question, how do you know when the gold is purified? And the goldsmith replies, I know it's purified when I can see my face in it. So he's looking for the clarity of that optical reflection. But obviously there's also a really neat and poetic an analogy there because in the phrase, in the passage we've read this episode in Romans 8, um, it talks about God conforming us to the image of his son. But of course, being in the image of God is not a new idea. It was one of the earliest ideas. It's baked right into Genesis 1. In the image of God, he created mankind. Um, and so when the gold is pure, it reflects the goldsmith's face. And I suppose the poetic implication here in the lesson is when humanity is cleansed and pure, it reflects the human smith's face, God's face. There's an elegance there. I kind of like it. It's, it's um, I think, slightly cheesy. I described it, but I, I like it. However, it, it does raise... It does raise some of the conundrums that we've just talked about. Does this mean that if we are somehow not pure enough, the, the fire underneath us needs to be raised hotter? It, it, stretching this slightly cheesy analogy, does that mean that, that our lives need to be made more difficult just to purify the, the, the lingering impurities out of us? Because that's what you do with metals, right? I mean, it, if we're going to describe crucibles and refining metals in a fire, that's, that's fair. Um, you know, is that the problem? Is it just that the, <clears throat> you know, the, the child that starves to death in Africa, is that the heat just needing to be turned right up to get rid of those impurities in their, in their character or whatever, but they, they were so impure that they couldn't cope. I'm not wanting to imply that even at all. It's, it's a, it's a horrible thought to even say out loud, but, but you know, how do we handle this idea of the refining fire, the purifying fire? Um, because I suppose on the flip side, there are experiences that are well, unpleasant. Learning, learning anything I, can I be tough, but pays off with, with having gained something at the end of yes. the experience. And, and no, no choice is made without sacrificing other options and no progress is made without towards some with a, a goal is made without moving further away from other, um, possible destinations. There's a. I'm going to look it up because I think it's it's worth getting the quote right. Um, uh, yes, Lucius Aeneas Seneca, Roman uh, philosopher, politician, writer. I'm pretty sure I've, I've got that right. Uh, the quote is: "If one does not know to which port one is sailing, no wind is favourable." <laughs> right. Uh, which is a, is, a, is a little bit relevant in the sense that to move towards being in the image of God, mm -hmm. you must necessarily become more like him and less like other things. Yes. And that's maybe what, even less like yourself. Well, that's what I really liked about um, the message rendering these verses in Romans. Um, God decided at the outset to shape the lives of those who love him along the same lines as the life of his son. Well, that's that's what it means to be followers of God in the way of Jesus. That's what it means to be following Jesus, to be Christian, right? 
along the same lines, shaping our lives along the same lines as the life of his son. I like that phrase. And then the son stands first in the line of humanity he restored. So the rest- restoration process is is the process of um, the refining process, I suppose. It's always focused back on, on Jesus, who, who is a revelation of God to humanity. Um, I, I quite liked those those sort of um, playings, paraphrasings of the of these passages, and and the image there in in the message is is I guess picked up as shape. We see the original and intended shape of our lives there in Him, in Christ. Mm. Um, so the restoration back to an intended shape, the the unbending of a life. Um, as sort of being the process of maturing through a Christian journey, all of these sorts of more or less poetic expressions, I I, I do really like. Um, and I think that I find them a little more helpful personally than the, than the idea of the, the, the overly, overly literal idea of a refining fire, just turn up the heat and, and mm. burn out those impurities. The, uh, yes. I, I think that's the thing. The idea of refining fire is often used. I, what I was gonna, uh, I was gonna say, I think that's a really good insight that feeds into it. So, is that I, I do not know how to approach the concept in the context of human suffering. Approach the concept that in all cases, all scenarios for all people, everything bad that happens to everyone is part of God's plan <laughs> to improve their character. Um, I don't have a good answer for that in terms of understanding what the truth is. I just think the way you expressed it can't be right. That's, that's, that's my answer. Well, yeah, maybe. <laughs> um, but whether or not you think that's right, mm. I can, at least from personal observation, offer some advice about how you should not communicate about it. And that is go to someone in the midst of their suffering hmm. and tell them that this is all part of God's plan. <laughs> you should not do that because it will not comfort them. Mm. And they are not at the right point in their lives to hear that particular message, whether or not it be true. Yeah. Um, so that is what I would say in practical terms on that particular topic. It is perfectly okay to believe it. Uh, in particular, to believe it about your own suffering. I think if you look back on your own suffering and you find meaning in the way that it's made you a better person mm. um, as part of God's plan, that's great. But don't presume to apply it to other people's lives because you don't have the knowledge or wisdom to do that. Yeah. Well, I think that's good advice. Um yeah, I, I mean, I think that this idea of the image of God, of reflecting God, of being God's image, I mean, it's so profound in so many ways. It it touches through, you know, the Genesis starts by by declaring humanity as made in the image of God. And then at the Exodus, the Israelites get told, don't make any images, right? Don't, don't, don't mm. make idols. And, and, but and yet they are in a sense images of god it's it's really quite well yes and it's an it's an important thing to understand is that the ban on idols wasn't just idols of other gods mm. it was also idols of the god mm. that they weren't to make images of mm. it was no images of 
any because in part of this concept i think that you are the images of god yeah yeah so so that's profound and yet <clears throat> all of us know in, in our own life experience that there there certainly are insights windows into or reflections of a godly character that we can see in in, in humankind in people sometimes very vividly in particular people that we interact with and yet equally undeniable is the fact that that image is frequently distorted um the this leads into a really tricky discussion about a thing that we use the word character to describe as sort of essence of a person um and we all seem to have sort of some good bits and, and some bad bits the the lesson poses a question that i i really like um not so much as a question, but because of the way that it, it plays with this key theme of image yet again. It poses the question like this. It has been said that character is what a person is in the dark. Now, that it's quoting that, that phrase or that saying. Now, before we talk so much about the saying, what I like about it in this context is we're sort of asking the question, what does the image look like when it it's not being observed. Um, and yet it, an image is there to be observed in a sense. So what does the image look like when it's not being an image? It's There's a there's a circular kind of playfulness, I think, to this. Um, Luke, you you said something before we started recording that is rolling around in my head. What, what color is an image when it's in the dark? What, what color is something in the dark? <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and that seems to me, that's what I'm enjoying about this. But... This is exactly the sort of question, right? So when no one is looking, the the truest e- expression of our character is the way we behave when we're just on our own, when when we're not confined by the need to to be, you know, civil or or fit in or whatever. I, um, I wonder if that's strictly true. Okay, because this. I, and sorry, I've just completely derailed everything. No, go for it. This is the first time I've had this thought also. I've never questioned the wisdom of this particular saying. And I've heard it before, of course. That, you know, your character is who you are when nobody else is watching. Mm. All right? Um, and, and the logic behind it is fairly clear. However, who you are when, when nobody is watching is a limited set of scenarios with which to test someone's character. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Um, and there are certain temptations that are only available to people when they are yeah. with others. Yeah, yeah. Uh, there are certain temptations that are only available to people when they are under tremendous pressure, which tends to not be the time when they are not being watched. Mm. Um, you know, and we also have sayings like, uh, which is, is, I mean, this is forged in the crucible. This mm-hmm. is very, you know, is very similar to trial by fire. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, the idea that someone's character um, can only be known when they are placed in difficult circumstances. Okay. Right? Mm. So that's a whole different one. Mm-hmm. Um, and has nothing to do with whether you're alone or not. Your character will be out, regardless of who is witnessing, <laughs> when you are in that crisis moment. Yeah. You know, you will see who you really are. And there's lots of sayings about that. So I'm not sure that I think there's some truth to it, but I don't know that it is the complete picture of someone's character, just who they are when they're alone. I've been alone plenty of times, and and I don't know that it tested my character right. 
to the fullest extent. I was not tempted at all uh, to kill or steal when I was alone because I had no opportunity of doing either. Yeah, well, I was thinking of an even more trivial example. When you are alone in the kitchen, are you ever tempted to eat the last Tim Tam without sharing it? Like, the point is, being alone, the word share does not even make sense. And yet, that's selfishness, generosity. It's difficult um, to express those sorts of things when one is really alone. So I think the point is that a lot of human character is about our interactions with other people Mm. and how we conduct those. Right. Um, And yes, there is definitely an element of... And it's that parable about the the priest loudly praying in public and making a big show of his donations, mm. right? As a, compared to the little old lady who gave everything she uh, quietly mm. without seeking applause. There is definitely that element of, you know, there are things that people will do in private that they wouldn't do if they were being watched um, because they would feel shamed or guilty about it Mm. and that is probably something to do with their character for Mm. sure Mm. but i don't think it's a complete picture yeah um yeah and 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 there's so much of what we read in the bible in terms of the character of god or the image of god that is about how we treat other people here's you know micah 6 8 Mm. sorry I'm, i'm bringing up you know that verse again he's shown you a man what is good to love justice, to do mercy, and to walk humbly with God. Mm. Can't do any of those alone. Mm. You know. Yep. Yep. Um, so that's that's cool. That that is a reminder that the the imageness it's it's not quite like holding up a mirror and seeing the appearance that matches. It's it's actually um, a little bit more. It's the it's the shape of a life. I really like that from the message. Mm. The shape of a life um, is the life shaped in a way like Jesus's. Um, in other words, is a, is a life attempting to join in the mission of God to alleviate suffering and bring goodness to the world. Um, or, I mean, really, when you think about it, what is the alternative to that? I think the alternative to that is to, to bring goodness to myself, right? The, the, the broadest possible strokes, it's, it's sort of about, am I more important than the world or am I willing to serve the world? Where the world is, is my environment and my society and my community and my family and all of these, all of these things. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that gets very close to the core of it. I was going to tell one other story, um, which I think you'll like. Maybe we can edit it back to an earlier part or not. doesn't really... Um, but, uh, I was, this was told to me by somebody who'd worked in international aid and development for a very long time. Um, and they were talking about their experiences in a Southeast Asian country, um, that had some political instability, shall we say, uh, coups were occurring, um, hotels, uh, were being sheltered in by, by expats, um, you know, as the only safe place and, and things of this nature were going on. Um, and uh, the, the person who was telling me the story just made the observation that there was no way of knowing beforehand 
this this scenario that people were very suddenly thrust into mm. this coup took place and everything changed and everything suddenly became very dangerous and uncertain would not have picked the people who coped well with that and the people who didn't okay some of the people who prior to that had been the most capable adventurous tough whatever have you people were the ones who completely went to pieces hmm. and some of the other people who you wouldn't have picked as being able to cope with stress mm. really rose to it um and so it's it's that yeah it's it's just more of that idea of there's a lot of different things that reveal someone's character mm. um yeah and uh, in, in lots of different scenarios um but uh, i mean trying tying it in a bit to the 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 idea of the, the shape of someone's life um i think i think that we are we are largely shaped by our experiences, mm. but more than that, we are largely shaped by our relationships. Yeah. And I wonder if the phrase, which we haven't really looked at there, but you know, he, he, what, what does it say exactly is, uh, I've, and sorry, I've changed the version that I'm reading. So there's going to be different words. Um, you know, predestined to be conformed shaped to the image of his son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren mm. right so why be shaped ah yes to the image of god yeah if not to help that process ah. for other people you know i think of the most positive influences in my life were people who more than most resembled christ mm. you know resembled that ideal of character mm. and i think maybe that's what this verse is getting at in terms of the that and it's that that firstborn among brothers or many brothers mm. it is so that this process can repeat you know it's not just christ and then the people who are around christ it's mm. also the people who are around them and the people who are around them and the people who are around them through the countless years yeah yeah to where we are now and beyond for as long as needed right um people reflecting people being made in the shape of christ and then reflecting that into other people's lives mm -hmm. um by being a positive influence okay no i like that uh as you say that it's it's crystallized one of the things that's been nagging me slightly making me feel uncomfortable throughout a lot of this discussion about refining character and so on is because there's a lot of baggage particularly in some religious communities about this idea of you need to refine your character to get eternal life to get to heaven to make god love you whatever whatever whereas really you're pointing out that what this is talking about is is joining the mission of God, but be conforming to the image of Christ is to join in the mission of propagating the light of Christ. It's, it's very similar to the, the light on a hill metaphor that Jesus does use. Um, you know, the, if, if he is the source of light, the more bright reflective objects, high albedo objects, there can be the, the brighter everything is all around. Um, no, I really like that. I'm I'm going to call it quits there because my it, my it's a good time. My croaky throat is surviving. Um, I did actually have to deliver a lecture, 
at university and obviously couldn't go on to campus today. So I delivered a lecture through Zoom, which I have done many times before. But in that lecture, I had to crave the indulgence of the students and, and mute the Zoom session to to have a couple of big coughing um, episodes of my own. Um, and and so I suspect that, that a lingering cough is going to be my last remaining souvenir from this week of COVID. And I, mm. I'm not really wanting to keep it around. So thank you, yeah. everyone, for joining us. This has been a little bit of a meandering episode. And it's only had the two of us, Cameron and Ken, hopefully are going to be able to join us next time. And we hope you can too. Next we just, week. We just want to show off how much we could meander even with just two of us. Yeah, <laughs> that's if right. If you thought it was meandering because there were four of us, <laughs> I hope we've proven you very mistaken. Uh, that's right. Um, as usual, if you have meandering thoughts of your own that you would like to share with us, you can email them to sabbathschoolfromhome at gmail.com. We're looking forward to you joining us next week.